This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Catherine Salmon is a flex work and financial security expert and author of the great new book, Ambition Redefined, Why the Corner Office Doesn't Work for Every Woman and What to Do Instead. A mother of two daughters, Catherine has worked nonstop since age 16 in many flexible ways. In 2002, she co-founded the Women at Work Network, one of the first companies focused on helping women return to the workforce. And she's led many compelling events that show women alternatives to the full-time traditional corporate grind. She's a frequent media resource. Her views on women, work, and financial security have appeared in the Financial Times, the New York Times, Working Mother, many other places. Her award-winning blog, Nine Lives for Women, is read by women around the world, and you should check it out. In this episode, Catherine and I talk about the reasons why it's essential for women to stay in the workforce instead of off-ramping when family pressures encroach on work. She's a strong advocate of women ensuring their own financial security by staying in the workplace, even with reduced hours or with some kind of flexible arrangements. We discuss the many ways in which flexible work arrangements are now available in various professions, especially in today's increasingly gig economy. Catherine describes the reality that not all women want to be CEOs and that one does not need to off-ramp and also that one does not have to climb to the top. We also take some calls from a couple of listeners uh, to the radio show about real-world questions facing women in business today. Now, I hope you like the Work and Life podcast, and if you do, I would much appreciate it if you would rate it and review it on iTunes so others are more likely to find it and enjoy it too. All right, without further ado... Get set to listen to and learn from a leading expert on how careers and families intertwine in the real world for women today. It's Catherine Salma. Catherine, welcome to Work and Life. Well, thank you for having me, Stu. Oh, it's great to have you here. And I really think your book, Ambition Redefined, which just came out, is, uh, <clears throat> is an important one. Before we get into the, the, the substance of it, can you tell us just briefly, how'd you get into it? Like, what led you to write this book? Well, I've been coaching women since 2002, and a lot of women who left the workforce to uh, be with their families, and also women who have been on the fast track and feel like they can't keep it up anymore. 
um, primarily for family reasons, caregiving for children and aging parents. Mm -hmm. And they come to me and say, you know, what else can I do? Where can I direct my drive and ambition and, you know, still make good money? And, And so I was hearing an awful lot about, you know, can women have it all? Um, you know, breaking the glass ceiling, lean in, all of that. And it seemed like a lot of emotional discussions and debates and finger pointing against, you know, women, between women at home and women in the workforce. And it occurred to me that really no one was talking about the fact that work is a means to a paycheck and a means to financial security. And you really have to put it in that, in those in those terms. Why do you think people weren't talking about that, Catherine? Because I think that the the idea of the caregiving for children, for aging parents, is so big and so emotional and so huge that it seemed like there were, you know, moral obligations um, as opposed to financial obligations. Mm. And, and, you know, what I always say to women who feel that they need to stay home 24-7 with their children, I often point out that if you do not keep earning and saving and investing, it's possible that at some point you could run out of money and you will burden those very same children mm. that you think you need to be with. Oh, that'll never happen to me, some people might say. Right, Catherine? Oh, absolutely. But it's going to happen more and more because Mm -hmm. our parents are living longer than they ever thought they would. And even if they were affluent at one time, when they get to the point where they need $25 an hour care uh, around the clock, those bank accounts dwindle pretty fast. Mm -hmm. So, So your intent with Ambition Redefined is to do what? My intent is to say, to put my stake in the ground and say that women should always work. Now, that's going to be controversial Mm. for a lot of people. But what I'm saying is not that you have to have the 60-hour-a-week corporate big job and travel overnight and big commute and all of that. I'm saying that today there are six different ways that you can work in a flexible way. And if you feel like you only want to work during school hours, that's totally possible today. Mm-hmm. And it's not just going in and answering phones at the doctor's office or um, selling clothes at Banana Republic or becoming a real estate agent, which are all the things that women would do when they felt like they needed flexible work and, and thought that you know there was no professional way well, not, not that there's anything wrong with those options for some people, but still, I hear what you're saying, that, that there are professional uh, opportunities for people to stay engaged throughout, nonstop. Well, that's right. And there is, there is something um, wrong with those opportunities, just in the mm-hmm. sense that they can be very low-paying. Mm-hmm. You know, I know a woman who was a, a fabulous marketing professional, and she was working in retail and she was doing a bang-up job, and they gave her a raise of five cents an hour. Right. So it, it can be low pay, and it can also be dead end in terms of increasing opportunities over time. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so you're saying that there are many different ways of approaching flexibility, and that people, women, 
in particular, should stay engaged in work throughout, nonstop, even if it's in different ways uh, than, than they might have uh, imagined they always would when they were young or that they were told that they should. Uh, and and so, so one of the most interesting parts of the book, in my estimation, is the debunking of this common myth assumptions or excuses can you can you talk a bit about some of the misconceptions that women carry around about what it means for them to be successful well i think that we have been part of um a very strong women's empowerment era and that's very important and i always say that of course I want a woman to be president. Of course I want more women to be at the top of corporations. But that's not a path that, in my estimation, based on all the work that I've done with women, that most women want. That most women want. Yes, that's. I I really strongly believe that. That it's it's really a small percentage of women who are looking for those. 24-7 very high-powered jobs um, in business or in government. And it's not because they're not talented or they're not ambitious, they're not driven, it's because they have two other big jobs, which is the children and the aging parents. And so what I see is that, you know, if you look, if you go to meetings of women's professional associations, Mm-hmm. Which which I have and have spoken at over the last few decades, so I have some familiarity right. with that environment. Go on. There are often um, often there's a majority of younger women, mm-hmm. and that's because when you graduate from college or you graduate from business school or law school or whatever, you um, there's a lot of you know, excitement and the sky's the limit and, you know, you really want to get out there and and go as far as you can in your career. And what I see is that that gusto, you know, keeps going through getting married, having the first child. By the time the second child comes around, it starts to be a little more complicated and I see women kind of losing their gusto and not it's not about accepting mediocrity it's just the reality of of the of the two big jobs of children and a professional job and sometimes adding in the third with the aging parents mm-hmm. it just for most women it's very difficult to have those extremely high powered jobs and also family um i can tell you the story of a client of mine um who um went to an ivy league um undergraduate uh, she got an undergraduate degree at an ivy league college also got an mba um same school and she was at a top 50 corporation she is a real go-getter. Um, she is managing billions of dollars and thousands of people. She had to go um, to Europe once a month for extended periods. And she was on the plane recently, and she said, uh, what am I doing? I, I can't do this anymore. She has two young children. Mm-hmm. She never sees them. Mm-hmm. 
and she came to me and she said, I do not need this job to validate who I am, if I am successful or if I am ambitious. There's got to be another way. There's got to be another way. So how did you help her? Well, we talked a lot about, um, you know, how she could create a consulting practice. Hmm. And, um, you know, she, she has a tremendous amount of highly sought-after uh, experience, um, a lot of finance and marketing. And because she has, has worked at such a high level for such a, you know, big and esteemed corporation, um, she would likely be in hot demand. So is she doing that, or is she in yes. the process of doing Yeah, she's in the process of doing that. Okay. And, 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 that's the, and that's what I'm trying to say, is that when she does that, and when she has a bunch of clients, where she's not just working for that one corporation, but mm-hmm. she's working for a bunch of clients, mm-hmm. and she can pick up her kids at school and work her projects you know, around her family... Does that mean that she is no longer ambitious or no longer successful or well, that she's no longer going to make money? And the answer to all of those is no. So it's, it's going to be up to her to determine that whether she feels successful. So she came to, to a point where she said, that's it. I can't do this anymore. This is not making sense for me. I need to make a change. She did that. And the, the question I'm sure that many listeners are, are, are thinking about is, well, how does she feel now? And is is uh, has she come to a, a deeper, more sort of uh, conscious or mindful appreciation for what success means for her? Yes, that's that's where she's headed. But I will say mm-hmm. that in the beginning, when we first started talking, she said, "I I don't want to keep this up, but I'm afraid that I will be perceived as a lightweight." So, fear of being perceived as a lightweight. How did she get past that, Catherine? Well, I think she just had to keep talking to herself and talking to her family. But, mm-hmm. but here's the here's the real clincher. Mm-hmm. She decided that she was going to start talking to some of the other women in her circles, hmm. and, she, and she hadn't done that before. Did you did you suggest that, or is that something that she came up with? No, I I suggested because I said, you know, you think you're alone here and you're mm. going to be judged as a lightweight, but I'm talking to women every day mm-hmm. who are telling me the same story. And so I you know, I encouraged her. I said, I understand if you don't want to speak to your colleagues, you know, right in your company. Right. Um, but start talking to some of your business school uh, classmates and and talk to other women you know who have these hard driving jobs like you do mm-hmm. and and you know just be raw and be honest and and see what they say and she came back to me and she was you know kind of flabbergasted because flabbergasted felt, yeah she said you know I I never felt that I could I could really talk about these things I couldn't you know I couldn't let up. What's that the, I wasn't, you know, 100% into this climb up the ladder. What's the taboo that she was afraid of breaking? I, you know, I think it's just the, the, 
the mantra from the power sisterhood. You know, we all as the women The power now, sisterhood. What is that? Well, I think that there is a feeling now that mm-hmm. if you are not pushing to the top, um, that you're letting down the sisterhood. Hmm. And the the power sisterhood is, you know, all the women who are who have said, you know, I'm doing whatever I can to get to the top, or I'm already at the top and I'm going to stay there. And there is, I, I do feel that there's, it's kind of like in the, um, it's like in the 70s when women started to um, stay in the workforce. Mm-hmm. And there was that collective feeling of, you know, we've got to get into the workforce. We've got to mm-hmm. advance. And, and now I think it's just, it's just louder and it's, it's higher that mm. we're supposed to get to. Mm. And I think, I think lean in on the one hand was. You're talking it, about the, the movement Sheryl Sandberg yes. was a catalyst for with her book of the same title. Right. Now I think, I mean, I applaud her for the part of lean in that is, you know, stand up for yourself if you if you feel you deserve a raise, you know, go in there and and ask for the raise and or ask for the promotion and if you want a seat at the table, get a seat at the table. You know, all those things of standing up and and you know, getting what you deserve. I think you know, that's very valuable um mm-hmm. you know what she was saying. But I think that a lot of women didn't it didn't stop there for what they felt she was talking about. And as I talked to lots of women, the feeling was she's telling us all that we have to be CEO. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I've heard that over and over again. You've heard what? That, that people are saying that the message from Lean In is you have to get to the top, and if not, you're a failure? Exactly. You know, you've got to do it for the sisterhood. You've got to get to the top. Keep driving. Keep driving. Keep driving for women. You know, we got to... We've got to advance, advance, advance. And again... Well, Michelle Obama, who recently published a wonderful book of her own called Becoming, and has uh, been on tour describing it, said just the other night, uh, when someone asked her about Lean In, you know, sometimes that shit doesn't work. Exactly. I'm quoting her. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so w- what did she mean by that? What, do, what have you discovered about that? And how do you help people overcome that sense of pressure that they feel to, you know, pursue uh, the sort of traditional definition of success at all costs? Well, I mean, I think Michelle Obama is a great example. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, she's in a whole other category because she can, you know, if she wants to work in a flexible way, just about any company would say, sure, you know, come on Mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. Um, But she is a good example in the sense that she was um, is very smart and very talented. She had the big uh, law firm job, um, but she made it very clear in her time in the White House mm-hmm. that her children were number one, and that and and I think I mean that's kind of a silly thing to say because every mother will say that their children are number one, and of course, but she didn't she didn't sacrifice. Um, 
anything to do with her family for for anything that she was doing in the White House. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's what she's talking about. Yes, yes. And in fact, I've written about that in a profile I did of, uh, of, of uh, Michelle Obama in a book called Leading the Life You Want, in which I focus on how indeed she managed the boundary between her family and uh, you know the rest of the world in a, in a very deliberate way and was, was really pretty successful at doing that and gave us a different model for what a, a successful professional woman could do. Uh, right. But you must get a lot of resistance to your message, Catherine, from the well, what you refer to as the power sisterhood, or really just anyone who thinks that you know giving up on the fight for equality at the at the at the board level or at the level of government service is uh, you know is is the aim. Well, no, I mean I'm not really saying giving up. Okay, I'm saying that let's not say in a monolithic way Mm -hmm. that all women must get to the top. Mm -hmm. Any woman who wants to get to the top should have the the path and the support to get there. And all the leadership training that goes on in corporations now to help women get there is, is a good thing. But the problem with all this leadership training is that it's it's only about getting to the top. It's not about, well, what if I really don't want mm-hmm. that big promotion? And what if I'm okay where I am right now, given the caregiving responsibilities mm-hmm. that I have? Aren't you going to talk to me about how to be a leader at this level? Mm-hmm. Well, I do that, actually, <laughs> in total leadership. That's what it's about. It's it's understanding what matters most to you, to the people around you, in all the different parts of your life, and then being creative about how you can pursue your values, your vision. But I agree, the standard model is one of, uh, you know, up is the only way to move forward. And you put in your very first uh, part of the book, up is not the only way to move forward, Right. Right. And I think that that employers of all shapes and sizes have to recognize mm-hmm. that there are there's there are some women who are interested in getting to the top, just like there are some men mm-hmm. uh, who are, and not all men. And true. And so, help those women absolutely, because we do want more equality at the top. Right on. But. Let's also help the women who yes. need who need help to stay in the workforce. Mm-hmm. So, Catherine, just to pick up on where we were uh, just before the break, um, what you were saying about the rise of women in, in positions of power in, in business, government, society—you know—if if only a subset of the women who have the talent to rise to the top get there then you know then that continues does it not the imbalance of power and how do you break into the you know the old the old boys club if there's just a few women there it's hard harder to do that right but am i misunderstanding i i think there's still enough um women who are interested Mm -hmm. in getting to those top positions and um that they're 
with everything that the corporations are doing now, I, I feel that more women will get into those um, top positions. There will be more equality. I'm, I'm just saying that we have to realize that it's, it's not um, every woman who's trying to do that. I think the same number of women who want to get to the top mm-hmm. want to get to the top. Mm-hmm. But it's just not everybody. And, and for those that, that don't want that, you're trying to help them to sort of be liberated, as it were, from the, the pressures to pursue uh, a life that really doesn't fit with what they want. Right. And, and unfortunately, when women feel out of sync mm-hmm. with all that leadership training to the top, and they have a lot of pressures um, at home, they very often leave the workforce. And that's a, a huge detriment to their long-term financial security. So you advocate, as you were saying in the top half of the show, staying engaged, staying employed in the workforce. How do people do that? Like, what are what are some of your most important or practical tips? Where do you start to think about that if if you're a woman or a man who wants to take time out but still stay engaged? Time out for childcare or for personal reasons or taking care of his family, parents, etc. This is not just for women, but I know your your primary market is is, is directed to women. But I think it, it's increasingly holding true that your ideas for for men as well. Um, but where where to start? Well, I think the first thing is to understand what flexibility is. Okay. Um, because I have found that many women will tell me that they mm-hmm. left the workforce mm-hmm. and and they left because it was. Com- completely impossible to get any kind of flexibility. And so then I, you know, dig a little further and I find out that a lot of the time yeah. what they do is say, you know, do you think it'd be okay if I work from home on Fridays? <laughs> that that's the only way to think about or define flexibility. Well that's that's and that is the sum total of the F. Uh, and so what so, has what has that woman done wrong in that request? What is what has she missed? Well, you have to make a professional pitch for flexibility. Okay. Just like if you were pitching a client. All right, so what's in that? What are the key elements? First you have to define what kind of flexibility mm-hmm. um you want and asking, you know, to be home on Fridays is not you know, there's not enough detail. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to talk about, you know, what your schedule, what your proposed schedule would be, and which days you would be in the office and which days you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And you have to be very clear that mm-hmm. there's a schedule so it, it doesn't seem willy-nilly and the um, the boss is always going to know when you're on the job and, you know, when they can reach you. Um, so defining flexibility, yeah. um, defining where the work's going to get done, yep. um, talking about all kinds of communication tools that you're going to use. Like, what if you manage people? How are you going to manage people from a home office? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What kind of project management tools are you going to use so you're on, you're on top of everything? So you've got to do some homework before you make the pitch. Absolutely. And what if, uh, how are you going to attend meetings? If you're if you're not in the office, mm-hmm. um, and and one of the other things that I uh, I always tell women to be very careful about um, is is not making it all about them. 
you know, you, you don't want it to be, you know, I want this flexible arrangement yep. so that it's good for me and my family. There's got to be something in it for the employer. Of, and, of and course. That, it has to be a win-win. Right. It must be. So, for example, what if you said, you know, I'm go- I'd, I'd like to change my, my hours, yep. you know, coming in later or leaving earlier mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Well, maybe those that revised schedule could help your company service clients in other time zones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you got to pitch it in terms of uh, interest that your boss or whoever it is that's going to help you to decide about a form of flexibility. It's got to be in terms of uh, success that, that they see is going to make, uh, make sense. It can't be just about you. Uh, Carrie's calling from Virginia. Carrie, welcome to work and life. Thank you for taking my question. Sure. I am a, I'm a first-line sales manager, mm-hmm. and I've been second-line sales manager in the past, but right now I have a young child, and I'm interested in staying in my job. And mm-hmm. I work for a large company, and I'm getting offered promotions a lot, both inside my company and in other companies. Congratulations. Act, yes, thank you. How can I decline those invitations to move up in a way that allows me the flexibility to say yes at some point down the road? I think people perceive that I might be afraid mm. to take on more responsibility, and I don't want it to be a negative perception. Great question, Carrie. Catherine? Well, I think that you have to uh, couch it as that you know, right now or for this defined period, that you would like to um, continue to grow in place. I think that's that's a, a good phrase to remember. Um, growing in place. Um, that you know, right now you don't have the the personal bandwidth for this next step, but you you would like to keep it on the table for later. But in the meantime, that doesn't mean that you want to be stagnant and that you do want to talk about ways that you can continue to to grow, to expand your portfolio of skills, um, to have more exposure within the organization. All the things that show that, you know, you still want to be a a dynamic contributor. Mm -hmm. It's just that you don't want to take on that extra responsibility right now and mm. for this defined um, period. Carrie, what do you think? That's a, I love a grow in place. That is sounds a great approach. Thank how does that, how is that helpful for you? I think it, it helps me to change a sort of the dynamic of the conversation uh, mm-hmm. that I'm going to have uh, because, again, I, I do want to continue to grow in the current role and take on some added responsibility without necessarily taking on the next full level of responsibility. So I like that. Uh, right. that Thank you. Thanks for calling, Carrie. Uh, we've got Marie calling from Oregon. Hey, Marie. Hi. Welcome. Um, I have a question. I am a manager in a large organization, and I feel like um, that if I step back from being a manager, that it's almost political suicide, mm. that it's 
like where I can go within the organization. Um, it's there's just really not a lot of places to to go or to step back into mm. or to step lateral. And mm. where do you go from there? Catherine, what advice do you have or what questions do you have for Marie? Well, is it possible to not give up being a manager but just work in a in a more flexible way? Have you it, have you tried? Yeah, I think that's really the the key is how to get that work life balance back. Because right now it's like sixty hours a week, and it's you know twelve hour days and mm-hmm. all of that. And trying, yeah, yeah, it's it is it's that whole work life thing. So, so Catherine, where where should Marie start? Well, I think that you need to think about the various ways that you could keep that that manager job, but perhaps with a different structure. Uh, you know, so, so for example, it might be changing your hours or changing where you work part of the time, um, possibly thinking about a job share. They are becoming more common. Um, and if you've been at the company for a while, they understand, you know, your work ethic and, and you've already proven yourself. Um, there's the possibility of becoming uh, a contractor still at the hmm. um, at the managerial level, still doing you know the work that's required at that level, but perhaps um, you know working thirty hours a week instead of um, sixty. Um, I mean, it doesn't flexibility doesn't mean that you have to give up your your title. I mean, the objective is to get the flexibility, but you know, keep keep your current title, or not. You mm-hmm. don't need to think that you are going to be demoted. Marie, let me add a, a thought on on top of what uh, Catherine is saying, and that is um, what I have found in in my coaching and, and teaching. Um, and working with organizations to try to change to create more opportunities for flexibility for men and women is to try to frame a, a, a potential change in along the lines that Catherine was just suggesting in terms of where and when you get work done and and how much uh, how many hours you actually are working to frame such a suggestion or a pitch uh, as Catherine rightly refers to it because you're selling to frame it as an experiment. Let's just try this for a month or two and see how it works. You know, whatever you might want to change, like for example, reducing the amount of hours that you get work done. Let's just try this and see how that works and if it doesn't work for you, boss, colleagues, team, well then we can try something different. But here's here's why I think it's going to work. And to do your homework like Catherine's suggesting and and so that you've got uh, you've got an argument. You've got a point of view as to why such a change might be helpful to you and to the business, and that it's not a "this is how we're going to do it from now on," but which is frightening to people. But rather, let's just try this and see if it works for us. What do you think, Marie? What do you of what Catherine and I are offering you? Yeah, I think that that is a. I, I kind of like it. I like it. Yeah, I think that. 
that it's definitely uh, worth worth some thoughts and uh, to try and work it. Um, I've got some more questions uh, and things that I want to talk with you about, Catherine. Uh, what haven't we discussed with respect to how people can start to make flexibility reality and so that they can pursue the, the definition, definition of success that they want to pursue? What else should people know? The things that I was going to add mm-hmm. to the last caller is that there can be um, a feeling of safety in numbers. Mm. And so you have a, a particular need, want, for for flexibility, but the fact of the matter is, everybody wants flexibility. And mm-hmm. if, if you work in a in a you know a reasonably sized team, I'm not talking about you know a, a department of hundreds, but if you have a, a smaller segment of a team, you can start to think about how could some simple changes be made mm-hmm. that would help everyone on the team have a more flexible schedule. Mm-hmm. And and in thinking in that way, it's you know, there's less of a fear of approaching your boss. You're you're being much more magnanimous thinking about the team. Mm-hmm. It's not just me. Yeah. It's, it's not about me. It's about all of us. Right. And, you know, again it could be simple things like, all right, you know, we can't have you know, Joe away on Tuesdays and Mary away on Thursdays, mm-hmm. and you know it's going to be chaotic, and we're never going to know how to when to have the team meeting. But it could be things like core hours. Mm-hmm. You know, what if everybody has to be on the job eleven to three, and you have your flexibility before eleven and after three? Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, I'm being very simplistic. That is but, a good, simple example. Yeah, simple example. Uh, and uh, my friend and colleague at Harvard Business School, Leslie Perlow, has written about this this idea and devoted a big chunk of her work to uh, how you get teams to design for flex in a great book called Sleeping With Your Smartphone. Uh, so that's another resource for thinking about that. Um, you know, decades ago, uh, Lottie Balin, who is a professor at MIT, wrote about what she called serial careers, where women and men can off-ramp during the height of their child-rearing years and then on-ramp once their kids are launched. Now, that was you know 40 years ago she was writing about that. Is this, this, this isn't exactly what you're talking about, right? You're, you're promoting the idea that it's really important to stay in the game. Yes. Right? And so... What are the risks and rewards of the model of serial careers? Uh, uh, or maybe they're obvious, so you can deal with this question quickly. But I think you know some people listening might be worrying about that, like thinking, well, you know, I'd like two years or three years when my kids are young to just be doing that. Why not? Well, because the interesting thing is that that's exactly what women always say. They say, I just need a couple of years mm-hmm. at home to get things in order and then I'll, go, I'll come back. But the fact of the matter is that those two years turn into an average of 12. And that's a long time yeah. to be out of the workforce. Mm-hmm. And every year that you're out, you forfeit up to four times your salary. You mean and, for a uh, lifetime? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, 12 years out, that's 144 paychecks that are not earned, saved, or invested. 
Mm-hmm. And we all know we're going to hopefully have very long retirements, and that takes a lot of funding. And then there are all of what I call life you never knows. Um, Death, that also divorce, funding. illness. Right. Mm-hmm. So f- both for financial security reasons, but also in terms of... Uh, well, the business of staying in the game and staying staying Absolutely. relevant. But how do you do that in a way that you can contain it? What what else haven't we gotten to that you want to make sure we get to? We only have a few more minutes that, that people should know about how to create Flex that works now. Well, you know, we are moving toward a, a freelance economy. Mm-hmm. And it's important to, to realize that there are so many freelance opportunities mm-hmm. now, um, which could be an occasional project if if you you know want to be home more with your kids for a period of time. That can be an occasional project, or it could be like I was talking about my client, where you create a consulting practice mm-hmm. and form an LLC, and mm-hmm. you know you're really trying to develop um, an ex an expertise. Um, you got to contain it, right, in order for it to work. Otherwise, it starts to grow into its own big thing that might be too much. Well, I think that you can contain it, um, you know, when you're when you're the boss. For sure, Catherine Solomon. Thank you so much for joining me on the show this evening. It's uh, really been a pleasure talking with you, and congratulations on the publication of Ambition Redefined: Why the Corner Office Doesn't Work for Every Woman and What to Do Instead. Really appreciate your sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you so much for having me. It was great fun. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.